Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Akela Cooper. She's a writer and producer whose credits include Luke Cage, American Horror Story, Grimm, The 100, Hellfest, and a little 2020 indie movie called Malignant. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hey. It's 2021. 2021. I know the pandemic has like flattened time. But. <laughs> you said 2020, Mary Beth. <laughs> That's where we're at Literally right had it in front of my damn face and I said 2020 <laughs> because I can't remember. I still think it's 2021. So I'm like, 2020 yeah. was last year. Like, where am I? <laughs> it really has flattened time. Sorry about yeah. that. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. We're so we're so excited to chat with you, particularly about *Malignant* and your choice of movie because what wild what wild movies! But um, before we do that, let's take it back to the start. How did you get introduced okay. to horror? I got introduced to horror at probably too young an age, I would say, but it happened. Um, I have two older siblings. And uh, I grew up, uh, just something to know about me, I grew up on a farm. And so when you grow oh, up on a farm, uh, you know, uh, and you have older siblings, they become babysitters, yep. essentially free babysitters. And that's what my parents did. Uh, my sister is 10 years older than me. And so she was a teenager uh, when I was still a little kid. And she was responsible for watching me. And she enjoyed horror movies. And she would watch them. Like whether or not <laughs> she knew I was in the room or around her, like maybe she thought I was outside or whatever. But I remember specifically one day 
uh, I was home, like I was in the house, and she was watching Hellraiser two. Oh, wow. And I came, I came downstairs. I guess, like considering where I am now, it was the exact right moment. But at the time, it was the wrong moment. It's the, uh, <laughs> it was the moment where Julia is brought back from hell, mm. and she comes up out of the mattress without any skin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like wow. me, just like like scampering down the stairs, turn a <laughs> corner. There's a skinless woman. Oh my god. Coming out of a mattress and then she eats a dude and I was like I, at the time I guess I was good about self censoring because I'm like nope I don't I don't need to see this and I went right back upstairs <laughs> to my room and I just continued playing but it was you know my sister was also into um, Nightmare on Elm Street and things like that so I would watch those uh, uh, and a lot of times. Okay. I would catch them uh, as the midday movie because for Gen Z years and below, there was this thing growing up in the 80s and the 90s uh, called the midday movie. Uh, And it was heavily edited, but they would air horror movies. Uh, That's how I saw uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, the one after Dream Warriors, and uh, um, Christine, which introduced me to the writings of Stephen King. Wow. Wow. So was Hellraiser 2 your well, your first horror movie? I you I mean, it was really just a clip, but that was like the first kind of horror you remember watching as a kid? Yeah, I remember that's the first one that had an effect on me. And I mm. remember the original okay. Nightmare on Elm Street was disturbing, uh, like the scene where Freddy is coming down the alleyway with the extended arms. I would say probably oh. Oh, the, yes. very, the very first horror movie I watched, and for those this is a podcast, I just put that in quotes, uh, was John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, which I am a huge fan of. Like my dad, who's into science fiction, loved that movie because I guess it was enough science fiction and not horror uh, that he was into it. But yeah, that was an experience where he would put it on. And again, my dad did not give a shit (laughs) which of his kids (laughs) was in the room. Uh, And I learned which, which scenes were coming up. So I would like duck behind the couch. Yep. And and the scenes would play like the you know the scene with the, in the dog kennel for instance, oh, yep. uh, and I would just listen and imagine, which is kind of worse <laughs> uh, than seeing it. Like imagine what was going on, and then occasionally my dad would like reach behind the couch and like tap me on the head, and it's like the scary part is over. So then I would jump back over the couch and, and sit and watch. Uh, and at a certain point, I just worked my way up to like watching the movie with my dad. That's amazing. <laughs> all the way through. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's, I, I had. Um, uh, I guess very open parents uh, in that regard. How old were you when you watched the thing? Do you remember? Whenever it came out on beta, so it was probably okay, when that movie wow. came out in 1982. So I was, I'm guessing 83, 84. So I would have, uh, I would have been really young. I love that you said born in beta. I was yeah. born in 81 beta too. Max. Me, yeah. Ah! My, my first, my first, yeah. I, my birthday is this week. In fact, on Friday. Ah! <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, so I I love that you're talking about beta because not a lot of people remember beta. Everyone's remembering VHS, right? And so I think yeah. it's like a lost like legacy of sorts. But my I remember having a beta tape player, and the one tape that I owned was a, a beta of um, Never Know Street Four, the Dream Master, and I would mm-hmm. watch that like nonstop. I loved I loved beta. <laughs> yeah, I we had the beta machine. It had the the remote that had the cord. That oh, you yeah. had to plug in you had uh-huh. to plug in the remote to the machine to use it. <laughs> yeah. I think like I don't that's think, I don't even think our beta had like a 
a remote. I remember running over to it and like pressing the buttons pressing on the, the button, actual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we had we had the it eventually like it wore out. Uh, but like my beta watch, oddly enough, was uh, Child's Play. Oh, okay. I wow. came to love. I came to love that movie, and that was like as a kid. There's a certain point where you're like, I can operate the video machine. I can operate it by myself. <laughs> and Child's Play was the one that I would always put on like at a certain point like my parents upgraded to vhs Mm -hmm. uh, and so the beta machine got put in like our little like rec room area with the old tv and it's like okay i'm gonna go watch my own thing and it's like child's play i i love chucky from a very (laughs) young age and i don't know why did that movie ever scare you that was my go-to there the some the ending kind of scared me after she threw him in the fire and then oh, he comes out like, as that like charred and mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i remember yeah. like him just walking and stalking and like he only had the one eye uh that image frightened me but everything else about chucky i just thought it was funny <laughs> so it sounds like you kind of were introduced to horror movies at a very young age did and i know that it sounds like you self-censored to the point where like you would hide when something when you knew something scary was happening did horror movies as a whole scare you or was it just when you were first starting out a uh, horror movies as a whole scare me i like i enjoy like a good scare i think like the last movie that really got under my skin was hereditary um <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's that one that one shot we all know where you go from like bright bright light to dark teen bedroom and there's something in the corner i'm like that's that was fucking brilliant i'm just like oh i'm probably gonna dream about that tonight fuck but it's gonna be <laughs> wonderful yeah uh and then like before that, i think uh one of the big ones was like the the paranormal activity movies because it just oh. hit something so primal which is what happens when we're asleep in mm. our houses mm-hmm. and yeah. like that's something that anyone yeah. can relate to but yeah it's like growing up it's like you know the the slasher films of, of the 80s which uh we'll get to it but like influenced malignant heavily uh and then i was a huge fan of like the the 90s horror resurgence for teens that started with scream and then the craft and urban legend and all of those movies Hell yeah. uh, which weren't necessarily scary uh no. but they were fun they were uh, and then, so fun like the late aughts, one of the ones that really blew me away, as problematic as the director is, uh, which came to find that out later, uh, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. Uh, that was one mm. I went to see with my friends at theaters when we were in college and just like wasn't expecting much of that movie. But then I saw it and I was like, holy shit, this is really good. And like yeah. there's some awesome horror imagery in that. So yeah. The final yeah. shot of that is, is still really horrifying. Oh my God. It's, it is because, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, it's like, you you know the horror movie tropes, which is it like once the sun comes up, everything is going to be fine. And, you know, our heroes and our heroines are going to get away and they're going to be safe and yada, yada, yada. And that is not what happens. That is not what happens at all. Uh, the dude you think is Justin Long, or it is Justin Long, but you think he's going to be the hero and, and slay the monster. And he gets flown away to this dark, dank hole. Uh, out in the middle of nowhere and basically gutted and skinned uh-huh. and the monster wins. Just hold and out. And I just would be like, shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was like, this, okay. Jeepers Creepers. I fucks with you. I really do. <laughs> so, yeah. We discovered yeah. how terrible the director is. <laughs> yeah. That whole thing with Victor Salva is, it was just like, whew, Okay pivoting a little bit <laughs> but so what draws you to horror now as an adult i like that horror is like 
one of the genres that's almost guaranteed to evoke an emotion in mm. people. Drama is kind of hit or miss. Let's mm-hmm. just be honest. Yeah. Like you really <laughs> have to have a personal investment in what's going on with like movies that are straight genre. Comedy, usually you're going to find something to laugh at. Like everyone can find something to laugh at, even in the stupidest movies. And horror, it's kind of the same as comedy. It's like some things scare some people, some things don't. And I like finding those things that make people react and get that emotional investment into the story. And then you're caught off guard by something terrifying that happens. And then you're just left talking about it afterwards and wondering, you know, like paranormal activities, like what does go on in my house? Do I want to see the video footage (laughs) of my bedroom when I'm sleeping? Right. Nah, I don't, I'm just going to assume all the movement. It is. It really is. I'm just like, I'm just going to assume all the movement is my cats. That's it. Exactly. Yep. Oh, you have cats. Love that. <laughs> I don't need to know. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's just, and horror is, it's this shared experience that's like cathartic for people to like mm-hmm. be terrified, get scared shitless, and then laugh about it. Especially, you know, obviously we're going on year three of a pandemic. So it's kind of hard to have these shared experiences in a theater, but like in a movie theater, it's a lot of fun for everybody to like scream and jump and then laugh yeah. it's it's that like tension and release that yeah. you get with horror uh that that i love and and i'm happy to invoke those emotions in the audience hell yeah what's your favorite theater going experience for the horror movie i love hearing about everyone's favorite oh theater going prop paranormal activity was a lot of fun like off yeah. the top of imagine. my head that was it's also i have to say it's like it's it's los angeles so it was a lot of like catholic people in the audience mm -hmm. uh like it was heavily heavily catholic i'll say that and so everyone was like praying and (laughs) screaming and like as we were leaving the theater people were they were talking about like going home and like saging their house and doing (laughs) like everything like that that was a lot of fun that's Um, amazing wow yeah it was just like oh okay all right uh yeah it was that one um i have to say i got to see malignant in theaters at beyond fest uh that was a lot oh, of fun that must have been incredible i wish i had seen <laughs> malignant in a theater because oh boy yeah and yeah i'm trying to like paranormal activity like, cool. i'm probably missing something um well, but, like, yeah. paranormal activity but You'd brought up Hereditary, and that was one of my favorite theater going experiences because that yeah. the scene that you're talking about with her perched up on the wall, listening to the gasps as they like as people yes. around the audience starts to like realize what's going on, and everyone's exactly. seeing it at different times. Those moments yeah, you can't it's replicate. The best. Oh, it's so that good. was. I, I went with a bunch of. Uh, I have like a group of horror friends. Uh, and we are like the only people we can go to a horror movie with because all of our other friends are like, nope. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we were we were in the theater and you have like the husband catches fire. Everything is like super bright. And then you cut to the bedroom and your eyes have to adjust. Yep. And so I was sitting next to my friend Ray and Ray just goes <gasps> and pokes me. Like, I'm like, what? And, he's like, <laughs> and I looked at the court. I'm like, oh, shit. And I just, yep. I was like, oh shit. And then my friend next to me is like, what? And the, it's exactly like you're saying. It's like everyone starts reacting and your eyes completely adjust. And it's like, she's in, she's in the ce- corner of the ceiling. Uh huh. Oh God. And then she did that little spider crab walk spider, thing out. Yes. And we were all, ah! we were all just like, ah, <laughs> oh God. It's the fucking worst and the best at the uh, same time. The but also just like, I was like, all right. Yep. But then you get the like people cult. 
And then yeah. it kind of just becomes funny. I'm sorry. Naked old people are funny to me. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's talk about your creative side. How how did you get in, um, interested and how did you get involved with what, with like writing screenplays and producing and all the kind of creative stuff that you've, you've done over the last, gosh, however long it's been? <laughs> you've done a lot. Yeah, I think it's probably like 2009 is when I, I got my first TV writing gig. And then 2011 on Grimm is when I had my first produced credit. So, yeah. Wow. Holy uh, shit. Wow. How'd you, get in, how'd you get introduced to that or how did you get interested in it? Has it been something that you've been interested in all your life? It was. Originally, I, I knew I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I always knew mm-hmm. that is what I enjoyed. Like I was that kid in school who loved reading. Like a mm-hmm. lot of times when you finish your work early and your teacher is like, we have to give you pointless busy work. We can't yeah. just let you sit there and stare out the window and fantasize about a better life. I would always pick read a book as opposed yeah. to like do the, the the times table or whatever worksheets that they had. Whereas other kids were just like, oh, God, I don't want to read. I'm like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take the book. Give me those uh, books. And I just enjoyed like how words formed into sentences that were paragraphs that became stories. Mm. Uh, and you could essentially do whatever you wanted to. So in, in a book. So initially I thought I was going to be uh, a literary author and then ended up going to grad school at USC and got introduced to like the screenwriting because I, I was into movies and I knew at a certain point I wanted to also write movies. I thought I was going to do uh, the Michael Crichton thing where I was like, I would write a novel and it would yeah. get optioned. And then I'd be like, I'm going to write the screenplay. Uh, okay. Like, uh, yeah, that was my, as a freshman in college, that was my, my goal. Uh, and then I was like, you know what, let me just, let me just go to USC. Uh, cause I, I was working as a substitute teacher, um, after graduating, but I wasn't really, uh, like while I was looking for a job, I was like, I could just also go to grad school, which is what my teachers at undergrad, uh, encouraged us to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just what you want to do. And it's like, okay, so I can go to a school where I can just focus on the subjects that I like, which are reading and writing. And I don't have to worry about calculus or physics or any of that other stuff to get my degree. Great. And I applied to USC, not thinking I was going to get in. Uh, and I got in. Wow. And then I came out here uh, and I did uh, the graduate program at USC, uh, learned like the formatting of like writing scripts from professional people. Because <laughs> I like trying my hand earlier at scripts, I would basically just go to Barnes and Nobles and they had like the little movie section. Mm-hmm. And so I would buy like scripts, like you yep. could get like produced movie scripts and I would read those and then just like mimic what I saw in those scripts. Uh, and mm. a lot of my early pre-USC scripts were really shitty, but you got to start somewhere. Yes, you do. Uh, and so – yeah, USC was great with 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 structure and like character work uh, and getting into that. And while I was there, uh, it just so happened that they had a nascent TV program that they were okay. building. Uh, and I'm like, I also like television. And I didn't know that this was a thing that people could do steadily. And so uh, from there, I got into the CBS Writers Workshop for television uh, oh. and got my first uh, show gig as a research assistant on a little cult hit called Jericho. Oh, Whoa, cool. And so that was a really great experience because everything, this was back when like TV shows were filmed in Los Angeles. So we were in the Valley and uh, our sets were there and post was there as well as the writer's room. So it was a great 360 education when I wasn't needed in the room. Oh, yeah, wow. I would hang out on set and when they weren't filming and I wasn't in the room, I just walked over to post and just started introducing myself to the editors and they just let me hang out in their editing bay while they worked. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. okay. So like, this is nice. 
Uh, and yeah, that was my start in television. And so I worked in TV for a couple of years. And by the time I got to Luke Cage, I had that itch to work in features again. Uh, so season mm. one of Luke Cage, uh, I made a point to just like write uh, two features. And uh, we sent those out as essentially like a calling card, hoping we were going to sell it. It did sell. Uh, but one of those scripts got me my meeting with the lovely gentleman at Atomic Monster, uh, Michael Clear and Judson Scott. And so we all hit it off because I don't know if people know this, but finding executives who actually like genre, especially horror in this business, is very hard. Yeah. Like a lot of executives look down on horror and look down on genre, even today. Like as the redheaded stepchild that nobody wants to deal with, but that redheaded right. stepchild brings in millions upon millions of dollars steadily uh so finding two executives who were like no we fucking love this and we were just like talking about like all the 80s horror movies that we loved uh and those two guys had it's like okay we like you we like your writing uh james and we have been kicking around this idea that at the time i think they kind of pitched me as like chopping mall meets child's play which I hadn't seen Chopping Ball in a really long time, but I was a fan of Child's Play. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, <laughs> right. okay, yeah, like I'll, I'll, you know, noodle on it a little bit and see what I come up with. And they sent me like this, this really thin paragraph, which is basically like, here's what we talked about and here's just what we want, which was, you know, Child's Play, but instead of the supernatural, it was uh, artificial intelligence. I'm like, okay. Oh. So that then became the idea for Megan, uh, which uh, I pitched to them and they liked. And then uh, we took it to Blumhouse and they liked it. And Blumhouse partnered with Atomic Monster. And uh, we ended up bringing on a director, Gerard Johnstone, uh, who's really, really awesome. He did Housebound, uh, the yes, New Zealand horror yeah. movie. Great movie. And so Megan, it was actually, Megan was the first movie that I wrote for Atomic wow. Monster. Um and then that led to uh, – I did a good job on that. So they were like, hey, James and his uh, fiance at the time, Ingrid, like they have an idea that they want to run by you. And I was like, okay, what is it? And that was Malignant, uh, which Ingrid had done like a lot of research on uh, teratomas and all of that stuff. And it turns out it just so happened. I'm like, I knew exactly what she was talking about because I'd had a friend who'd experienced that. Uh, when she was a teenager, she oh, wow. uh, they thought she had cancer. She didn't have cancer. The tumor was actually the twin that she had absorbed in the womb <sighs> that so was wild. growing. Uh, and I'm like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I have secondhand personal experience <laughs> with this. Uh, and so, yeah, I uh, they had like a, a three-page or – yeah, I think it was like a three-page treatment with all of the big ideas, including the reveal. Uh, and then I took that and basically built upon it. Uh, and we bounced it around between us and then they were like, we like this. Uh, so they brought me on to write Malignant and after Malignant, uh, they were like, Hey, we want to call you in to do this other thing. And I was like, okay, what is it? And that ended up being the nun too, uh, with okay. New Line and Warner Brothers. So I've done three movies with Jeez. Atomic Monster. Uh, and yeah, all, uh, hopefully all of them will be made malignant's been made megan's been made fingers crossed for the nun too which is all i can say uh which is not a bad fingers crossed but i know things that i can't say <laughs> that's amazing i was gonna ask i was curious about megan because i i did notice it was in uh on your imdb page and it looked like it's maybe coming out in 2022 so i was like i hope that, that is because that yeah. it, I, allison when you williams said, starring yeah and when, when you said you know 
Child's Play and Chopping Mall. When I was reading this, I was like, okay, this sounds like kind of like robots in a chopping mall, but with like kind of the Chucky thing. And I was like, I'm, I'm here for it. So that's, that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I have to ask, what was it like working with, with James on developing this story? It was a lot of fun. It's like he it's it's kind of easy because James knows exactly what he wants, uh, mm-hmm. as does Ingrid. Uh, and so, yeah, it was basically like taking all of the bits that they had, just fleshing it out because uh, they they had the tentpole scenes right. uh, that they knew that they wanted. And then it was like building the story off of that and uh, bringing in like fleshing out the cops and uh, the sister dynamic and that mm. stuff. But yeah, it's basically, it, it was, I wrote my draft and then James and Ingrid uh, and Judson and Michael gave me notes, did the notes, uh, sent it back to them. And then typically what happens in features is like the director, in this case, James Wan is like, thank you for your service. I'm going to take it from here. And then James did his pass on the script, filling in all of the stuff that he wanted. So yeah, it's like my job was relatively easy with that. Wow. Cool. I, I'm, I'm curious about the inspirations for for uh, Malignant and what you guys were kind of working on with it. Because like I, when I'm watching it, I can see like some Argento influences in there. Basket Case, obviously, with like the the kind of deformed twin aspect of it. And like I was like, I also watching it, I was I was kind of struck by like the feel of like the Ott's Castle remakes with like particular House on Haunted Hill with the giant kind of asylum like. Uh, you know, institution that's like up on the, the the hill overlooking like the cliff and stuff. So I'm kind of curious what what inspirations you you drew from when you were when you were uh, writing the script. Well, the the two biggest were the ones that James gave me. It was the eyes of Laura Mars oh, uh, mm-hmm. meets the dark half is what he wanted. Oh, okay. So then I watched I watched those. Like I'd seen the dark half, but hadn't seen it in a really long time. And I'm a fan of Stephen King, so that was easy. Uh, and then I hadn't seen the eyes of Laura Mars, so that was new. Uh, And that was fun um, to pull from. And then the other big influence was essentially the movie Seven, uh, which is where we get the chase sequence from. And so making that like the tight, tense uh, Mm. chase sequence that it was. I hadn't even thought about how similar those chase sequences are because I love the chase Mm -hmm. sequence in Malignant and I love seven that's so cool yeah that was basically james is like i want to be like like the chasey with john doe and seven i'm like gotcha (laughs) it's always great when your job is watching movies and reading scripts um but yeah i basically took all of my cues from uh james with what he wanted uh us to pull from and then like just sarcastic like i'd worked on grim and luke cage so i kind of had uh, a little bit of the procedural experience and just like the sarcastic mm-hmm. banter with the cops and their relationships i just pulled from stuff that i'd already like you know luke and misty <laughs> conversations kind of yeah. um but yeah like those were like those were the influences okay so i, I also have to i'm, I'm curious because when you were talking about when you were going through kind of your career one of the questions i i had um about that was what was it like being in the in the writer's room writing tv because i feel like that's a lot different than a lot of feature film screenwriters have to go through where it's you know very solitary i mean in this case it wasn't but a lot of times it's a solitary experience at least in the start whereas when you're working with it on a team you know i'm curious about how that how that feels with all the kind of creative energy flowing in the writer's room i love it i love being in a writer's room i love being with a bunch of smart people uh because you feel like it's not all on you mm-hmm. whereas with features it's like and even even with malignant it was like i had the tent poles and i had the influences but it's still it's like you go write this now <laughs> right i'm the one who was just like 
I have to write Gabriel's dialogue, and as a horror movie fan, I know this is going to be silly at a certain point. The more he talks and the more he says, Ugh. so that was that was a tightrope to walk. Uh, whereas, like in a writer's room, I could have just bounced in there and been like, "Yo, okay, so we have a killer that's talking out of the back of this woman's head. <laughs> How much is too much dialogue, y'all?" Let's like, and then we would just like <laughs> sit in there and like act it out with each other, and it's like, okay, that's too much. Whereas, yeah, with, like writing malignant, like at home on my computer, it's like it's just me and my cats, and my cats are just going to be like, meow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna get. <laughs> but I also, it's like the, you trust that, like it's James Wan, so it's like James is going to let me know if this is too much, and then at some point James is gonna take the draft and he's gonna, you know, do his pass and what he wants Gabriel to say, and that's how it's gonna end up. Um, but yeah, like back to your question, like I, I love television. It's just like, it's, it's being in a room, hopefully with like really, really smart people and you're having fun creating story and talking about these characters. And a lot of times it's like, you have this camaraderie because you like, if you have a really good writer's room where everyone trusts everyone, uh, you're all bringing like personal aspects of your lives to these stories and you get to know people like in really intimate, like emotionally intimate uh, ways. And so, yeah. And then it's like, uh, I, you, you're assigned your episode and you go off and write your episode. Some people like to write at home or you can like write in the office if you need to. And yeah, if like you need a break, like go hang out in the writer's room. And like, there was a time I, I did Witches of East End. Um, and I remember like I was, uh, I had to be in the office, uh, working on something cause like something was happening in my apartment complex. But like when I hit a wall on something, I walked in the writer's room and it's like, Hey, can I borrow you, your brains for a moment? And then they took time out of their, you know, <laughs> story breaking to help me. And then it's like, Oh yes, that, and then you walk back and, you know, you finish the job. So it's, it's, it's really nice to have that. And I think it's like for the feature people, it's, it's a lot of, you know, like writers groups that people have um, that they get feedback on. Uh, but like collectively, when you can talk something out with someone who's not you, it's also offering like a lot of different perspectives. And like even uh, what I learned, my very first show was uh, V on ABC of the oh, remake yeah. Yeah. and uh jeff bell who is our showrunner uh was like i was a staff writer so i, I didn't want to say anything because i'm like i don't want to pitch it because it might be <laughs> stupid and he was like there are no stupid ideas because a stupid idea might cause someone else in the room to think of something right that's a good idea so just say it and we'll talk about it and see where it goes i'm like oh okay and so i've obviously like i've taken that with me uh but yeah i i love being in writer's rooms i love tv Oh, cat. Sorry, we have a Sorry cat. my cat decided. <laughs> one of my cats decided to, to show say everybody his butthole. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, she's like, look at my butt. Oh, oh is she, she hanging up here? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> she loves to make an appearance on all the podcasts. See, here's the thing: like when I when I was doing like Zoom writers rooms, I invested uh, in a cat oh, hammock. A cat hammock. Oh, those are. So oh, I love the. Oh, I love uh, the Sam. Sam. Yep. So my there's my Riker is up there. That's my boy cat. My girl cat is running around here somewhere. Row. Oh. Uh, but yeah, because they were they were all like always on my keyboard. It's like I gotta put you guys someplace where you feel like you're in authority, right? <laughs> but you're <laughs> not you're in my way. And, yep, but you're not yep. in my way. Yeah. So I'm curious about like the reaction from like studio the studio about mm. the script. Like were they? Okay I have no with idea. How... Okay. Oh, cool. So you were just like, like hey, yeah. you didn't have to do. It. Cool. <laughs> I, 
that was all on James at that point. And like the, oh, the internet okay. joke is that like Aquaman had made a billion dollars at that point. I don't think Warner Brothers really said anything. That, I know that's what we always I've joke made about. That, I'm like, made he that did, joke they, like, many times on Twitter. <laughs> they made, yeah, he made no. Aquaman and they gave him the credit card and was just like, you can do whatever you want. He made and 1.4 made billion it. dollars. Go have fun. That, essentially, it's, he was like, this is my patches project. I want to get this in between uh, Aquaman 2. They're like, have at it. That's Amazing. Awesome. And so what was what was your personal favorite moment that you wrote or like in the entire film of Malignant? Because there are so many choices. So I'm curious, like what you loved the most to write in the film. My favorite line in the movie uh, comes from Regina when like they've done the sketch of what Madison has seen. <laughs> and she's like, so I'm putting out a bolo on sloth. From Goonies. Yes. I didn't think that was going like, to so- stay in the script. It's such Which a great one of those line. things I was like, it made me laugh when I wrote it because that was a day where I'm just like, she's got to say something funny here, and I'm not a comedian. I will fully admit that, and like my sense of humor is like situational. It's like it's one of those you have to be in it. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, she's got to say something. She's got to say something here, and it's got to be funny, right? It's like what can sloth from the Goonies? I don't know because uh, I didn't even know what the the sketch was going to look like. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it doesn't look like sloth from the Goonies, but, but so it I was works. like. Oh, that line stayed in there. And then I think like um was like as it like building on the tentpole reveal uh that, that James and Ingrid had, which was like the police station beat oh. where Gabriel reveals <laughs> himself uh and just writing that and like making sure in the script I'm like, and to be clear, she is now moving backwards. <laughs> she is fully in reverse. <laughs> And I'm talking to James, and he's like, he's going to know what that is. I'm like, who am I writing those instructions? Anyways, for the people reading, so that everyone knows what's going on. But uh, just describing the mayhem, because, again, I'm like, at a certain point with action beats, unless you, I guess, are going to direct it and, like, you want to put all that in there, I tend to just, like, overview stuff. And mm, I'm like, mm-hmm. the stunt coordinator and the director are going to take it from here. So the description of the the police melee so to speak was basically after gabriel reveals himself it's like all hell breaks loose and then it becomes a hurricane of blood and guts i'm like do with that what you will james and he did Uh, and they sure fucking did oh my god my favorite is when zoe bell's character yells what the fuck (laughs) this is in the prison cell what the fuck? I was I got to visit set that day too, so that was a lot of fun. I was going to ask, were you were you able to like be on set while this was being filmed and what that was like? Because that scene, so good. To visit set twice. I got to visit set for that scene, and uh, I got to visit set uh, for uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, hospital asylum stuff, which they actually filmed oh. in an abandoned asylum. Did and I really? got lost. Like, oh looking my for, God. Like one of the producers I was looking for was like in the B unit. And so I was walking around and one of the signs uh, that they put up around, it's like, hey, this is where video villages or this is where catering is. Or like it got turned around. Oh, and so I went down the wrong hallway and I passed by the morgue. Uh, that's and the I start came of a like horror just, movie right there. <laughs> it, it, yes. And it was like a dead end, and then there was like another turn where I walked outside, and I'm just like, I have no idea where I am in relationship to everything else in this place, so let me let me go back through this gauntlet one more time. And it just like, just kept my eyes straight. It's like, don't look in any of, there were rooms. It was like, there <laughs> yeah. were rooms, and then morgue, 
and then stairs. Oh my god! And so I was like, just just stay straight. No, I eventually <laughs> did find them, but yeah, it was like a very tense five minutes of my life <laughs> in that abandoned asylum. Wow, I can only imagine just walking me like, don't look in the rooms because it's sort of like that sort of paranormal activity thing of like, do I want to know? I yeah. don't want to know what's on there. If I don't see it, I'm okay. Just walk straight. So one of them I did glance into, and it was like it's a bed that had been like the bed frame, which is like metal coil and all that stuff. It's like against the wall. It's like no. Ah. It's like, but as a horror writer, I'm like, I'm filing this away, but I'm gonna make it <laughs> out of this alive first. <laughs> Okay, so, Michaela, we've talked about your incredible career, but what movie did you bring with you today? The movie that I brought that scarred me for life uh, is Pumpkinhead, directed (gasps) by Stan Winston and written by Mark Carducci and Gary Gerani. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Based on a poem by Ed Justin. Yes. Which not that many people know. So, uh, quick synopsis for Pumpkinhead for those of you unfamiliar. Uh, after a tragic accident, a man conjures up a towerful, towerful, towering, <laughs> vengeful demon named Pumpkinhead to destroy a group of unsuspecting teenagers. All right. So, okay, Akela. Yes. Tell us your scarred for life story. I want to hear all about when you first saw Pumpkinhead, how it messed you up, like paint us a horror picture. And I will. Uh, this probably this is not the first time I've told this story, and it won't be the last. <laughs> so, Pumpkinhead got like a. I didn't know this at the time, but like contextually, it got like a very small theatrical release. Yeah. Uh, like a few like small local theaters for whatever reason, and one of those theaters uh, was near my hometown. Oh. And my parents heard about the movie, and they went to see it. And my parents again aren't like big horror people. I don't know what they thought it was, um, but they came back and they were raving about the movie. Like they loved it, and they loved it so much that like my brother uh, wanted to go see it because he was also into horror. He's like, I want to go see it, and you know, you'll take me and, and his BFF at the time. And so everyone was talking about how much they loved this movie and how great it was, and blah 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 blah. And me, I think like Pumpkinhead came out in what eighty seven. So I was 88, I believe 88. So I was seven years old when this was in theaters seven and all of the adults and my, my tween age brother, uh, no, he would have been a teenager at that point. Like we're just talking about it and they went to see it that next weekend and I wanted to go and they were like, no, it's too scary for you. You can't see it. And so the plan was to drop me off at my grandmother's house and they drop me off in my grandmother's house. And I remember standing with my grandmother and we're just in the doorway and we're waving goodbye to them as uh-huh. they pull away. And then I see brake lights and the car backs up and my brother gets out and he comes running up to me and he's like, come on. <laughs> and and they took me now wow. to years later, like years later i finally asked my mom i'm like hey <laughs> why did you change your mind and send my brother to come get me and she was like i saw you and you looked so sad oh. at being left behind it broke my heart so i decided to take you oh that's sweet no <laughs> yes so cut back to yeah me Apparently, completely and horribly dejected seven-year-old. And my mom is like, I can't do this. We have to take her to see this scary-ass movie. 
go get her. So uh, we go to the theater and we get our popcorn and <laughs> previews or what they were, you know, in the 80s. Yeah. There, I don't think there were that many. And then the movie starts. And if you've seen the movie, it starts with a flashback of Lance Henderson's character as a child in this Ozark-like or Appalachian, I think, I think it's the Appalachians, uh, you know, hut, (laughs) (laughs) whatever, like, basically it's like poor white Appalachian people in the 1950s and tension right off the bat. You're like, you know, something's wrong. Like the father is like, I got to put the horses up. Y'all stay in bed. I got to lock the door because Pumpkinhead's going to be out tonight. And then you, it's, the there's some noise and then the little boy is like mama what's going on and it's like nothing honey nothing we can do about it and then they just yep. smash cut to this dude running for his fucking life and you hear the sound of cicadas cicadas whatever i'm i'm from the south i don't <laughs> one of those pronunciations is right uh, which again i grew up with so i'm very familiar with that sound oh, yeah me too and so there's just like a cacophony of them on the soundtrack as this dude is running he's been beaten up and he's bleeding and he trips and then something huge pulls him off of the ground and then you cut back to lance henriksen's childhood home and the dad is sitting in the chair with a shotgun and i'm just like what is going on? I don't <laughs> think I like this. And so then, you know, not to do the whole thing, but at some point, little little Lance Henriksen looks out the window and sees the Towering silhouette of Pumpkinhead holding this man. Mm-hmm. And just that glimpse was like, okay. So then I turn to my mother, <laughs> terrified, and she picks me up and puts me in her lap. Oh. And I proceed to watch the movie essentially from my mother's armpit. <laughs> I love that. I watch I watch the non-scary scenes and then Pumpkinhead comes on and I just like turn and shove oh. my head <laughs> between her boob and her arm. <laughs> I can still hear everything that's going on. So my mind is filling in blanks. Yep. And at one point I did, I do remember in the theater, I, it was the, um, the scene where Pumpkinhead uh, finds them uh, at the church. Cause the, mm. uh, sorry, the hillbilly boy thinks that going to the church, Bunch? like be, uh, be what saves them or like Pumpkinhead can't enter the church. And then he does. Yes, he, he sure does. He does enter the church. Oh, I re- and it's just oh the, yes. That walking and it's just like, I remember seeing that and then the other two moments that stuck with me that I did not watch from my mom's armpit. Um, and this is also what terrified me about Pumpkinhead because a lot of times monsters in the 80s were just like these mindless cretins with the exception of Freddy. Uh, but Freddy was a human being, so that made sense that he had uh, he was self-aware and, you know, had, had smarts. So Pumpkinhead uh, sets up a motorbike basically for the protagonist to be like, Oh shit, there's a vehicle that I can get to that. I can like get out of here on and I can go get help. And so he carefully approaches this motorbike and he gets on and he's trying to like start it. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> a seven foot demon from hell. <laughs> it's like, the, it's like the T-Rex in Jurassic park. It's like, how did you sneak up there, sir? He's so stealthy. And then just, bro, it really is. <laughs> But like, all of a sudden, you just see Pumpkinhead with the uh, the bike chain or whatever. You sure on do. On his finger, mockingly being mocking. like, "Hey, 
hey, hey, boy. And that's when I was like, smart. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. If you encounter this monster, it's like, there's not going to be just like run and hide. He's going to trick you. And that got me. And then uh, when the the hillbilly boy who was trying to help them is hiding in Lance Henriksen's oh, home. The, yes. And he's in the closet. And poor Gypsy is in the little toy chest. Yeah, so she's in the toy chest. And, like, he thinks hiding behind the clothes, Pumpkinhead is not going to see him. And then Pumpkinhead does the thing where he turns away like he's going to leave. Like, yeah, you fooled him. And then turns right back around, Surprise, pulls the clothes aside, and just gets in his face. Like, come on now, man. I see you. And it's just like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, blue, my wee wee little brain i also remember seeing and this i don't know if this was like in theater or like because again my parents got this uh, on beta uh, when it came out uh when he took the uh the religious girl's head and like just shoved it okay in the window and right. was just like window washing with yes! her face yes! before he pushed her through it's like it's so sadistic and you hadn't Again, outside of Freddy, you hadn't seen that because, like, Michael Myers was, he's always the shark. He's like, or I know there's like question about that, but like, he's a single minded, I am going to kill these teenagers and get Laurie Strode. Yep. And then Jason is, are there teens fucking? There are teens fucking. Them. I'm going to go, I'm going to go stabby stab now. Uh, to have a movie monster that wasn't human but then again that's the twist at the end which i also thought was like super cool turns out spoiler alert they were human Mm -hmm. and it's also it's beautifully tragic in a way that in order to stop this lance henriksen's character has to fulfill the cycle and essentially die so that the current pumpkin head can go back to hell i guess and then he becomes the new one which is like all this man wanted was vengeance for his son. It's such a and sad it led movie. To his death too. It is. He's 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 he sold his soul basically, tragically. Uh, yeah, but yeah, there there are so many good moments in that movie. There's also the when um the the eighties asshole in the leather jacket like goes outside and is like, I'm the one that you want. Yes. You start hearing cicadas coming inside the house. And then he goes back in and like there's light coming through the door into the kitchen. And then like a second later, Pumpkinhead just steps in there. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, even to this day, sometimes I'm like, I know it's coming. And I still jump when he comes in there. It's a great moment. When the the trio of women are in the kitchen and the girl like grabs the knives and she's like, just in case Jesus doesn't show. And then she turns away from the window and Pumpkinhead like walks past the window because he's been waiting for her to like not be looking so he could sneak across. It's just like, holy shit. I love that you bring up the the, keep bringing up Freddie when you're talking about about this, because like Freddie was a catty bitch. And this and Pumpkinhead seems like (laughs) a catty bitch. Like. The way the that, dangling, it's like, hey, the, yes, that that chain, <laughs> the 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 fact that the religious girl gets like the cross, like scrape, like you know, cut into her yes. forehead, and then she, like you said, pushed against the glass, and then he just kind of pushes her into the thing, like, hey, 
you forgot this. I'm just going to give this back to you. Like a lot of his actions just feel like either like a cat, like he feels like a giant cat that's like having so much fun tormenting his people before he kills it or like just a catty little bitch because the things that he does yeah. are so taunting, are so mean, are so like they just are. sort of like I could kill you. Like I am like f- so tall. I could just slash your throat. But no, I'm going to play with you a little bit. I'm going to I'm going to climb up a tree, <laughs> wait for your friends to come outside <laughs> and, and then drop, drop you. you expertly on a rock. Uh huh. We're going to midsummer you. Yeah, that's that's what I'm about to do. And when he kills the uh, the the 80s douchebag, he like just is the King Kong moment. And um, Roy Woodruff Jr. acknowledged like that. Stan was like, you got to do the King Kong moment where he's just like playing with his head. (laughs) Yes, that yes. that moment too. When he, he's killed. Well, I love that he t- grabs the gun. You're like, oh wow, was he gonna shoot him? That's weird. Nope, he's just gonna jab <laughs> it into him. Just jab right. it. Which he's comes like, after after he's played dead. He's like, uh-huh. he's not dead. Yeah, boom, shoots him in the head. He's like, he's dead now. And then he grabs his ankle and is like, no, I'm not. Nah. <laughs> and I know how guns. Gun. And I kind of know how guns work. I don't shoot you, but I kind of know how to grab one and just shove it inside just of you. Shove it in you. But I will say Pumpkinhead today still looks incredible. Oh. Yes, it does. Like, that creature design is absolutely incredible. And he's still terrifying. He like, is. He, he is my so favorite. Good. It's so good. I always forget how much I love monster. it. Like, I saw this for the first time last year. And I was so... like, Well, one, I was always... I knew about this movie and was always wondering why he didn't actually have a pumpkin head. <laughs> I was like, but he doesn't have a pumpkin for a head. Why does he call it pumpkin head? Because he comes from the old pumpkin patch. <laughs> <laughs> that incredible set. But then oh. um, watching it, I was just so amazed with how good he looks. I'm like, is he? are you sure he's not a real thing in this yeah. world that is hiding like in the shadows? Because holy shit, like it holds up so well. And that was actually the first time, I think it was the first time, because everyone assumes that like Stan Winston designed that because Stan Winston directed the movie, but that was when he turned it over to uh, 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 his crew. Basically, it was like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to supervise this really, like show me what you got. And this is what they came up with. Uh, and yeah, it is absolutely freaking terrifying like if i walked out of this room and i saw that in my living room i'm going to have a heart attack you're not gonna laugh (laughs) no no i am not going to laugh i am going to fall on the floor dead oh my god you know okay so i i I love hearing people's stories about seeing these movies as a kid this was a favorite of mine growing up um i never saw in the movie theater i lived in alaska it never it never came anywhere near there but it was a favorite on vhs for me and i remember really watching it over and over again and i'll be honest i haven't seen it since i was a kid and so this rewatch was was quite wild for me because I realized I didn't remember anything about the actual story of the movie. I just remember the specific scenes of, of Pumpkinhead. I remember the little kid, poor Billy, that gets killed because I looked oh. kind of like Billy. I had like they sort of like oh. blonde hair. I had these big glasses like I, I kind of nerdy. I was Billy as a little kid. And so watching is like, oh, my gosh. I remember why this movie kind of terrified me as a kid, and yet I couldn't stop watching it. But I do remember Billy. I remember Billy's death. I remember the image of the witch, which I want to talk about for sure. I mean, my God, that's another – that's great makeup. Oh, right? <laughs> I remember the climax a little bit. I particularly remember um, 
Ed getting pierced by the the pitchfork and that being like the oh they're connected type of moment. Yeah. But like yeah. when I was watching this, it's like I have no recollection of most about ninety percent of this movie. It was it was like watching it for the first time. It was so it was so weird to me. Oh, the actual like the first moment I think for the audience though is when it's after the King Kong moment. Uh, the dog bites yes. Ed. Mm-hmm. And then the and pumpkin then you head see pumpkin head like ah. So yeah, yeah, for the audience, we're just like, wait, what? And then yeah, the pitchfork is just like, oh, I have to kill myself because I was the one who conjured this thing. Like that damn sneaky witch <laughs> forgot to tell me the fine, <laughs> got to read the Conven- fine print. Conveniently left out that part. Uh-huh. It was just like it's gonna take a toll on you. Like love that good cryptic message of just like something bad's gonna happen, yeah. but you don't know what. And it's like, oh, just kidding. You are Pumpkinhead now. Surprise! Yeah. It was like when he when he goes back the second time and asks her to stop it. It's like nothing I can do. It's gotta Holly. run its course now. And Holly. And Holly. The <laughs> way she like, says God. his name. Holly. But he was like, "God damn you!" And he's like, "He already has, son. He already has." <laughs> oh my god! Like, okay. but like, and oh, that sorry. was, but that was also because, uh, like flashback moment in my mom's lap like uh when she conjured the thing like Mm. when he brought it to her and she did that ritual like even the moment when you hear the bones snap yeah and like the first movement i was like no 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 no, no. i don't like whatever this is and i would like peek and then like it stands up it's like fully grown and again the sound of the cicadas because like i sometimes you know in summer we would sleep with like our our windows open and you would just hear those sounds and i'm just like is he in the backyard <laughs> wait no oh. i have done nothing wrong i have done nothing wrong why would pumpkin be kid? in my backyard stop it go to sleep okay so i have to wonder because so you watch the movie and you're terrified watching the movie did it affect you afterwards i mean you just kind of mentioned a little bit like the cicada thing that did i i (laughs) my mother you know tried to do the right thing by including me it just resulted in me sleeping in bed with my parents for like a week maybe two weeks i could not i yeah it's like i would I would wake up and then be like, I hear cicadas or there's something and just like book it out of my room down to their room and just like do the, the dive (laughs) before the monster could grab me, just like nuzzle up between them under the covers and, and, and go to sleep. Like, yeah, for I, it was, it was at least a week sleeping in the room. Cause like I, I would dream about pumpkin head. Oh my God. (sighs) Well, I wanted to go back to talking about how this is a tragic movie because, yes. again, first time I watched it, I got that. But this time especially, I really was like watching the relationship between Ed and his little his little boy and how it's this super tender relationship that you don't see a lot mm. in movies. I feel like that relationship no. between father and son that's like super affectionate and loving is so hard to see. And like from right from the jump, they're so close and they mm-hmm. love each other so much. And then the way that this kid is, like, immediately killed in the most vicious way, I feel like getting a motorcycle to the head is just so fucking <laughs> sad. And, like, it's all, like, you think, it, like, sounds like it'd be funny, but you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, no. this is horrendous. Like, this is going to go so poorly for everybody involved. With his glasses. And then the, the scene where he's holding his son and he goes, the kid goes daddy and then goes limp. I was mm-hmm. like, this is yeah, that it took, me a while to re- 
it took me a while to realize that's what had happened because like there are things that you miss on like beta and vhs mm-hmm. uh and so one day i was like i think i had the volume up or something and i heard daddy and then he died because i always thought he just died on the hill right. and it's like oh, yeah. no it's like he died in his dad's arms and that's just like a whole other color on the movie when you try to understand why ed did what he did but yeah it's like it is it is it's so tender and loving and there's that moment where like he's washing his son's hands and talking yes. about like the having yes. that relationship with his grandmother which my grandmother like to make sure i wash my hands would like either hold me like up over the sink or like would get like a little bin and wash my hands too so i'm just like i understand that feeling of having like an older woman whose hands are like super wrinkly just like in yours and it's like so yeah that that always got me i was like that's what my grandma does um oh that's it's really yeah and it was just like oh man oh man but i think like one i remember my brother's best friend uh we were talking about it on the way home or they were talking about it on the way home i was very quiet uh, and listening <laughs> one of the scenes that like the scene that actually scared him was when ed uh is i guess uh coming back from the witch and he pulls over because he's so grief stricken and then the boy sits up and it's like what are you doing daddy and it's just like it's a jump scare but it's an effective jump scare Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just like also it's like going towards that guilt but yeah that was that was like oh god we have our zombies in this movie now oh shit (laughs) well like i I got big pet cemetery vibes this time especially when he sits Mm -hmm. up like it's underneath uh, like he's just in the truck under a quilt which is you know absolutely fucking upsetting and he sits up and obviously you have him going to that pumpkin graveyard which again so cool and has this like weird like this like not whimsical but like almost like fantasy kind of vibe to it like it doesn't it feels Mm -hmm. like it should be more fantastical than they frame it but you know you have him digging up this thing to bring his like to not bring his son back to life but you know get revenge and then the son sits up and you're like "Ooh, this is so gross like this is like pet cemetery but somehow worse (laughs) like think about if we did if he did pet cemetery but got revenge against the truck driver oh my god yeah i would watch that oh very awesome yeah (laughs) Yeah, the set design, it's all, and the thing is, like, having, you know, grown up in a small town in the South, something that, like, city folk might not get is, like, I like when you watch the movie, they don't explain the culture, it just is, where it's like, yeah, no, it's like, you gotta, you gotta go uh, into the back of the old pumpkin patch. Right. And the way people talk about the old pumpkin patch, right. you're not supposed to fucking go back there. Like, I grew up with those, like, yeah, there are areas of the woods, you don't go. Just don't do it. Don't ask questions about why either. Just like, just don't go back there. And you don't question it. You do not do it. And you do not question it. You're like, nope, I will not go back there. I don't want to find out like what the fuck is back (laughs) there. I've watched enough horror movies. I know what happens when you go to the the forbidden part of the woods. (laughs) Yeah, we all do. It's like, yep, nope, I'm good. I'm good. So you, to this you, day, I'm just like, when people like, hey, you like, I remember in college, there was this place called it was like the boot factory. Uh, it was the the college town where I lived and had at one point had a boot factory. It closed and it was abandoned, and you could see it on the hill, like you could see it. Oh, and wow. it at night, very creepy. Very. I one of my early horror movies was set at that boot factory, um, <laughs> and I remember like one day, like my friends were like, "Oh, we should go up there," and I'm like, "The fuck we are!" <laughs> I'm like, no, I've seen that movie I play out, a- and this is no. <laughs> 
exactly. I wrote it. I'm like, we're not going up there, y'all. You're like, I know how this plays you, out. You all can go, and if you do, take notes and pictures and bring them back to me. <laughs> That's smart. That's smart right there. If you survive, smart. I want to hear about yeah. it. Okay, but I, I wanted to. Be, you mentioned Pet Cemetery. The other movie that this surprisingly reminded me of, and it, this might seem like a stretch at the start, was Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the reason oh, is, is that the way that this kind of subverts, like, well, it, not necessarily like the story of, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but the idea of like rural horror in particular, mm. of the kind of. Because a lot of times when we see rural horror, it's always we're following the city folk into it, and we're like a, alone with them into this sort of like foreign land of sorts right whereas here the movie yeah. starts with the people living in the rural area we see ed we see his son we see wallace and his and his whole crew of family come up so mm -hmm. you know we're following them we're not following these teens who let's be honest are kind of the dead teen disposable teen kind of trope like at one point i stopped yeah. writing their names down because i couldn't keep track of who <laughs> was who and it, it doesn't matter because we're not following them they're not the heroes the hero of the story that is it's such it's a greek tragedy of the father and mm -hmm. so we're stuck with them and so we're not like along with the rural teams coming across this family and then being butchered and us feeling sorry for the teens. I mean, you do feel sorry from a little bit in this, in this movie, but most of the pathos comes from the people living in this rural town in particular at Harley, yeah. as opposed to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the, uh, the Hills have eyes or any of that kind of like, you know, sort of yeah. rural esque type storyline. I thought that was really interesting. It is. It's like, because the teens essentially like, not to victim blame, but like they bring it on themselves. Mm -hmm. It's an accident, which also makes it more tragic. But yeah, right. it's like the dude is, I, I can't be here. Cause I, I got busted for drunk driving already and yada, yada, yada. And you know, just every wrong decision. And then of course, Ed not taking the time to be like, okay, one of them did stay. Yeah. So maybe they tried to go get help. Cause like one of them did like the brother stayed behind and like, there's yeah. a really sad moment where he hands Ed the oh, little glasses. glasses. And he takes them. But yeah, it's also, it's, you know, you're right. Like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Hills Have Eyes and stuff like that is like, oh, these crazy backwoods mountain people are like cannibals and eating people. It's like, no, this is, these, these people are living their lives as, you know, they normally do. They have their superstitions. They have their legends, one of which is, happens to be true. Uh, and you infringe upon that and you, you call the wrath of Pumpkinhead down on you. The, the other thing that kind of jumped out at me this time is sort of Pumpkinhead as a folk horror movie because like mm -hmm. and maybe it's because like I've been watching a lot of folk horror, reading a lot of folk horror recently with the, the new Severance set that came out and and Kayla uh, Jensen's uh, three hour like deep dive into folk horror. But like I'm watching this and I'm thinking about how, you know, Pumpkinhead is sort of this pagan creation creation. And in fact, it, there's like a defiance against Christianity throughout this entire film with sort of like Maggie's religious. She has a cross. She says the creature's the devil. You know, she starts praying and she's like, God is the only thing that can stop what's out there. And then Tracy, you mentioned she grabs the knife. <laughs> and is like, just in case God doesn't show. God doesn't show. And then he, you know, marks the cross in her head. I love that, you know, Bunt, which is what a great name. I love that. It's such a <laughs> weird name, but I love it. You know, is bring him into the demolished church where it's like the idea of like, oh, the holy ground will save us. God will save us. And he goes in there. Not only yeah. does he walk in it, he destroys the cross. He does. He beats it to death. <laughs> and I just I, 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 I love this idea of this sort of kind of story that is this, this folk tale that's been told. And yet it's it's actually coming true. Yeah, it's interesting because it's the the old witch says like for every 
every one of man's sins, there's a demon. And like mm-hmm. Pumpkinhead is wrath, basically. So right. it's still in that Christian vein. Yeah. It's just like it just goes back to, I guess, whenever the first settlers or whoever created Is there like a prequel uh, I, to Pumpkinhead? I know there's like a bunch of other is. movies. I haven't seen any of the other ones, but I was like, did they ever try to make a prequel that like explains Pumpkinhead? They did. And it wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> And I, like one of the movies starred Bill Clinton's brother Bubba. What? Wait, excuse me. What did you? <laughs> yeah, look it up. Bubba Clinton is in one of them. I think it might be the first Bubba first sequel, Clinton. Blood Wings. But I, no disrespect to all the people who I know work really, really hard on those sequels. But I, I don't. I, I oh, my yeah. Roger, my canon of pumpkin. Roger Clinton Jr. as as Mayor Bubba. Oh, he was Mayor Bubba. Mayor Bubba. Roger Clinton. Wow. Yeah. So have you have you seen all the excited? I didn't know there were four. I thought I knew the second one because I remember I stopped after the second one. I stopped after the second one because the explanation they gave, I think that's in, in that one. I was just like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> so my canon ends at the first movie uh-huh. as far as I'm concerned. It's the same. I've, I've not seen the other ones. And I guess the other two were released in 2006 and 2007. They were sci-fi made for tv movies but that's uh, Henderson came back for at least one of them which is oh yeah he's weird, in the third wild. one but yeah i've never i've never seen him yeah. and i didn't even know that the last two existed <laughs> yeah i just remember the, i just I remember, remember being first... excited it's like i remember being excited there was a sequel and then you watch and it's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> it's like that gif of the baby who's like toddling into the room and then sees something he's like whoop and then just turns around. <laughs> yes, that was that was my response to the first sequel to Pumpkinhead, and I did see any after. I also love that it was based on a poem. Uh, that yeah, yeah. That someone that uh, what's his name Ed, Ed Justin Ed Justin, who I guess was involved in movie marketing, and apparently when I was doing some research for it, apparently he wrote it to spook his grandchildren and. Mm. They really loved it, and they decided to make a movie off of it. And the poem is out there on the internet. I was reading it. You know, it's it's. Cute. I know, I know the first line. Stay away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. Yeah, he's cold and mean. Something, something, and then unforgiving. Yeah, like guard dogs in your yard. Like, yeah. Yeah, bolted doors and windows barred. Guard dogs prowling in the yard won't protect yard. you in your bed. Nothing will from Pumpkinhead. Love it. Like. It's just like, you know, your grandpa just recites you a, a nice little poem before bed. <laughs> just like a nice little little something he just wrote up for you. It is amazing, though, how – and I guess this is – is it American? No, Germans. Germans did it because fairy tales, it's like, hey, behave or I'm going to drag your ass out right. in the woods, leave you, <laughs> and some witch is going to eat you. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all the ones come up with Krampus, you know, like the German yeah. folklore. Like La Llorona is the same thing. It's just yeah. like – Grit like Latina grandmothers basically telling their kids is like behave or this dead woman is going to come get you and drag you into the river. <laughs> it's like I don't have time. I don't have time to sit down and try to negotiate with you, child. So I'm going to scare you into behaving. <laughs> scare you into submission. <laughs> One thing that I did notice on on a rewatch as an adult that I'm not I'm not understand sure how I feel about it is this movie loves its filter. It loves to use filters the from the opening with the fireplace that's like bathing everything in red light to the the kind of 
the blue filters used at night to make things like extra dark and extra cold. Uh, the, the scene where that we talk about, this really sad about Ed holding his dying child. There's all the God rays coming through the, through the window. It's very picturesque. And there's a lot of like uses of use, use of light and in particular filters in this. I love that the fireplace just bays everything in, in red. <laughs> Well, like that image of like you, you're talking about the God light with in his kid. It's like it is it's like God holding Jesus. Yeah, and they mean like you killed my child. You killed my only son. Yeah, I am now going to bring wrath upon you. Well, and like his only kid. It's like I feel like the only thing he loves too. You know, like he doesn't have a mm-hmm. wife. Yeah. It's just him and his kid against the world and their dog, and he just has nothing left to live for. Yeah. One thing I, I also did love is that that um, his store is called Harley. You know, Har- what is it? Har- um, Harley. Harley. Harley's just a grocery store, but like he's added and son on the end. So so it's oh, like it wasn't like that. Like it existed at one point, and then when his son came along, he added and son on on that on the sign. And I was like, oh, that's such a cute little addition. That kind well, of it's like when basically like a man like that is like, yeah, my kid probably not going to college or whatever. So he's, he's going to take over the business. Like this Mm -hmm. is going, this is going to be my gift to him. Yeah. So yeah, let me, let me put son up there and then tragedy. And then tragedy. Yeah. And then tragedy. There's a couple of miscellaneous things that I, I found out about this film though, too. When we were, when, when the, when the teens all hide up in that cabin, I kept watching this going, that cabin is so familiar. And it's because it's the same cabin they used in Friday the 13th, the final chapter, the Jarvis family cabin. That makes sense. It's the same cabin. And it was, the, there was just one shot of, of the door. And I was, cause that's the door that Jason famously breaks through and, and, and it's used in the gif all over, all over the internet. But like, I'm watching <laughs> oh, yeah. some like, this looks so familiar. And it turns out that it's the same house. Also gypsy, the dog was played by mushroom who was the oh, same gosh. dog that played Billy's dog, Barney in the gremlins. Oh, mushroom, mushroom. What a sweet boy. <laughs> Only had two credits to his name, but Hey, two good credits though. Two great. I know. Credits. Yeah. Gremlins and pumpkin head. Can't go wrong with that. No. Yeah, I'm looking. I, I think. Well, okay. I do want to talk. Oh, uh, yeah, that's Stan Winston, right? Stan Sorry, Winston. I totally forgot about to talk about him. Yeah. So this was his directorial debut. I think he's. It looks mm-hmm. like he only directed two feature films. The second one was yes. a gnome called Norm, which I saw a trailer for as I was doing some research, and it looks really wild. Have you ever? Has either of you ever seen that movie? I've not seen that one. I saw you <laughs> write down the name, and I was like, "What is that? A it real looks- thing?" It looks wild that, you know, that they have the trailer on IMDb that just starts playing once it's on the page. And I'm, I'm like, wow, what, what a it, it, kids movie, uh, like definitely like yeah. a nineties type. I, of, I figured a gnome named Norm has to be a kid's movie. But the, the, the plot of it, I have to just bring this up because the plot just made me cackle. A Los Angeles police detective partners up with a talking gnome in order to bring down the head of a crime ring. I mean, that is, that is a perfect eighties encapsulation of what yeah. was happening but it's I, like yeah it's like maniac cop except with a gnome and for kids <laughs> yes exactly uh and the, the, oh my gosh the the blu-ray picture of it i'm gonna put this in in chat so you guys can see it this young cop with like this weird ass gnome oh I wow guess. Just leaning against I remember him. seeing this. Do you? I remember seeing this at the video store and not knowing what the heck it was. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like in the 80s, like the cover had to sell you on whether or not you wanted to like take a chance on the movie and rent it. 
and 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 no shade to the cover designer but i'm just like i don't know what that is it kind of looks like a a muppet but it's not a muppet (laughs) it's kind of terrifying kind of it like kind of reminds me of a gelfling but yes yeah no a hairy gelfling yeah no i didn't yeah so that's one of the reasons why i was like yeah i'll just rent uh the secret of nim again Uh, and anthony michael hall was in it as the lead yeah of course he was I think. Yes, yeah. it looks like it. It looks like it, which is incredible. Wow, what a career. Pumpkinhead and then a gnome named Norm. But his special effects work, I mean. Yeah. Hands down. I You know, Terminator, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, Aliens. Like I mean, the, it's a who's who of like. Predator. 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 Mm-hmm. He, oh, that's one of my all-time favorite stories about like him and James Cameron. Like they're on, they were on a plane going somewhere. And this was after like. They already started filming Predator, and I don't know if you've ever seen the original design of that monster. It just looked like a, a really weird anteater that oh, John really? Claude Van Damme was running around in a suit. It looked bad. Wow. And so John McTurner was like, we have to have a new design, and they spent money and you know called Stan Wentz and was like, hey, we need, we need this and we need it ASAP. And Stan was on uh, the flight with James Cameron, and he's like just drawing the design because Stan was like, I'd always like liked the Rastafarian dreadlock mm. look. And so James just like leans over and is like, you know what? I've always wanted to see something with mandibles. It's kind of like a <laughs> challenge to his friend. And then Stan was like, oh, you want to see mandibles? Like it's it's like part of the You want to see mandibles? Oh, you want to see mandibles? Here you go. And so that's where that came from. Oh. Basically, James Cameron giving his friend shit. It's like, he's mandibles. That's an iconic that. look, though. That's fucking incredible. It is, but it's also it's like as 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 a teen, you just think, of course, it makes sense that the predator looks like this. Like until you you grow up and start like getting into movies, you don't realize everything it takes to go into making a movie and then like to hear Mm -hmm. like that's how that came about (laughs) right that's hilarious really that's incredible okay oh well yeah the original design is truly something oh yeah it is if if you haven't seen it people yeah predator original design and know that jean-claude van damme was the stuntman in that suit great yep oh i'm looking at it now and wow wow i'm glad they redid that one there, there's a special feature on 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 the the DVD. It's probably on the Blu-ray as well, where they they show you like the raw footage of this thing moving through the jungle. It's ridiculous. Wow, it looks ridiculous. Wow, <laughs> listeners, we'll tweet oh out God. a photo of it too, so you yeah. guys can see it. Um, Absolutely. Oh, I will say personal. Wait, personal anecdote about Stan Winston. Sorry, my apologies. No, you're fine. No, I remember like. I obviously love Pumpkinhead, Aliens, Predator. Like, I always wanted to grow up and write a movie monster that Stan Winston and or his crew would have designed. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my childhood teenage dream. And I was working in Hollywood, I think it was like 2007, 2008, uh, and like got the headline that like Stan Winston had passed. And like, I'm just sitting in this office, like trying not to cry. And I, call my dad my dad was the first person i called him like stan winston just died and my dad was like oh i'm so sorry Um, because he knew he knew what it meant to me to like like have him design something for me so yeah r.i.p to stan winston man like i legend 
cannot emphasize how much he's influenced me in my career. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of like the 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 movie monster designer of well, I mean, we're the same age of our of our childhood. I mean, you yep. look at, at all the Rick movies. Baker. Yeah, exactly. You look at all the the stuff that 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 were favorites for me: Aliens, you know, The Monster Squad, Predator, Leviathan, Jurassic Park. Like these are all Leviathan. movies that yeah. were constantly cycled from my my you know first. Yeah, uh, childhood up to being a teenager was constantly just seeing his creature design and he he has a legacy he's a mm, he's an icon he i don't think he ended with it but like he did iron man yeah he sure did that was him so oh wow yeah. i didn't know that he did that holy shit r.i.p stan winston a legend all right let's give this movie our rating out of five terry how many pumpkin graveyards out of five do you give Pumpkinhead? Uh, I, I mean, this this movie is like, it, even though it, it's so weird that even though as I was watching it, and I couldn't remember much about it. It just it felt like nostalgia and it felt like childhood for me when I when I was rewatching it, even though I didn't remember most of the storyline about it. Just the, the the scenes, I think the, the everything from the set design to the creature design to the, the tragedy underneath it. I think it, it just it works really well. I think it's one of those films that feels like it's a radar movie, but it's for kids. Like in a, in a way, in a weird way, because it, it feels like a fairy tale. It feels like a fable. It feels like that kind of thing that I would grow up on. I think this movie is great. I think it's held up really well, in particular with the special effects and the, and the monster design. Uh, I, you know, for me, I think this is a, uh, I think it's a four pumpkin head graveyard for me. What about you, Mary Beth? I think I agree with four pumpkin graveyards. I, I don't think Pumpkinhead gets enough credit for being an iconic monster. Mm. Like, I feel like with a lot of the sla- – like, we talked about this with the slasher movies. Like, you have the killers who are more human. But then you have Pumpkinhead, who is, I mean, human in a way, and is, like, a, a, such a cool monster and such a unique-looking monster. Like, we don't have a lot of stuff that looks like that in a way. And so I just feel like watching this again, I really appreciated what Pumpkinhead is and how much I love him as a villain, like a horror movie villain, not just a monster, but like as a thing that has like intelligence and wants to kind of fuck with its its victims in a way that I hadn't thought about before. Like, especially the church scene when he bursts in is just like, that was bone chilling. So, and from the practical effects and like the kind of the folk horror vibe, I think this is definitely a four, a four out of five for me. And Kayla, you have the final word. How many pumpkin graveyards? I think I know the answer, but how many pumpkin yeah, graveyards? Yeah, I can't, I can't be objective about this. This is going to be five pumpkin graveyards out of graveyards. I obviously love 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 this movie and yeah it holds up and the special effects especially like are still remarkable and it's like the argument that i would use like in anything like for you know practical effects with maybe some like cgi cleanup but you honestly can't beat having a dude in a suit that is built really well and looks real on set with your actors and they're interacting with that as opposed to a tennis ball on a stick. So, <laughs> right. yep. Exactly. <laughs> There's and and yeah, it's like it's a tragic, heartbreaking story about grief that mm-hmm. goes incredibly tragically wrong. Yeah. And, you know, Lance Henriksen, who is also like one of the top, you know, character actor of the eighties, like Terminator, Pumpkinhead, Aliens, Aliens. uh, Near Dark. Like, I am a fan of all the stuff that he does. Which, by the way, he looks hot in this movie. 
I was not oh, yeah, a, with the shirtless thing. Oh and yeah, the, and when the like he's introduced as an adult, and I'm just like, oh okay, daddy, <laughs> like I'm here for this. <laughs> but did you know, like he tried to like, I don't want to say ugly himself up, but like he gave, he went to uh, what. It was. It might not have been Stan, but he went to like the makeup crew and was like, "I need buck teeth." Like, if you look at his mouth, oh. like especially in that opening scene, he's got like buck teeth. <laughs> That's not his real teeth, right? Like that was a character thing that he he added because he felt like someone who grew up there wouldn't have like dentistry, like really. So uh, he wouldn't have had his teeth fixed. Uh, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> buck tooth daddy. Back to daddy. Buck tooth Appalachian for it. daddy. I, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Akela, for joining us to talk about Pumpkinhead. Where can the listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share with our listeners? Well, thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, listeners can find me bitching about sports and or politics. <laughs> sorry, on Twitter. <laughs> uh, football season is almost over, probably. So <laughs> that'll that'll wane after a while. Uh, my handle is at Akela Cooper. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, though not really posting there that much, like just professional stuff. Um, but yeah, Twitter is where you can find me if you need me. Uh, and yeah, Megan, uh, from Atomic Monster and Blumhouse coming out TBD, hopefully 2020 and then none too, hopefully TBD. And I'm not going to say anything <laughs> else because I'm going to have like every freaking conjuring universe fan on twitter and and instagram being like so when is that date again i said nothing you heard nothing all i can say is that it's still scheduled to happen folks sweet uh sweet and yeah and i have i have some other things that sadly i can't talk about but there there are many uh many pumpkins in my patch right now hell, hell yeah. yeah we love to hear That's it awesome Love to hear it. Uh, so listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Pumpkinhead? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Also, if you're on Spotify, you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. So go out there and just hit that little rating, please please uh thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. 
These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.